Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to The Sound of London. This is Londonist Out Loud. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe. We are a location-specific podcast. I'm wrapping our ears around a project which sees Tower Bridge not only become the venue, but also an instrument in a piece of music. To meet this week's guest, my guide took me through an innocuous side door in the southern end of Tower Bridge, and we descended a rickety old spiral staircase into the gloom below. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before, just a stone throw from your front door. just get this out of the way to begin with the location in which i am standing is pretty ominous it's uh, vaguely threatening i'm hoping to have that sense diffused but i want you to imagine this an enormous dustbin lorry of the sort that has the big wedge-shaped thing that swings down and compresses anything in its path i'm effectively standing in a giant version of that above me is a metal structure whose colours might seem familiar actually and this will swing down the uh, 40 or 50 foot high curve of brickwork well I'll leave the rest to your imagination we're we're underneath Tower Bridge and uh, we're we're hoping not to get compacted with me is Ian Chambers (laughs) have you witnessed this by the way have you been down here when this comes down no you're not allowed there's a strict 30 minute evacuation policy before any bridge lift and even when Ian Rawls of the London Sound Survey was down here recording he was only permitted to stand on a gantry in order that he wasn't himself compressed by the machinery well, I've given it a pretty negative atmospheric build-up, but we're here more than anything for the sound. Uh, and maybe I'll just give you that lead into what we're doing here under Tower Bridge. Yeah, so we are here for the Bascal Chamber concerts, which are the first time that any event down here, other than the odd architectural tour, has ever happened. Uh, it's happening as part of Totally Thames Festival this year. And it all got underway when I heard the aforementioned Ian Rawls recording of Tower Bridge lifting from the Bascal Chamber. And when I heard it, I thought, well, yeah, it sounds like industrial machinery, as you'd expect, but it also sounds musical. There are these these sort of pitches and timbres of brass instruments in there, which is really odd. It must be metal on metal that's just sort of happened over the years. 
but I thought my first instinct was this just needs presenting as a piece of music because it is and then the second when I sort of started thinking okay this is something I'd like to do was about sort of elaborating it and building on it with real brass so that it blurs lines between who's doing what so there's sort of three elements in that main piece it's the, there's the recording of the bridge there's the brass players and then there's these off-stage sounds which we're hearing right now of traffic going over our heads over the bridge boats going over our heads as well because we're below the line of the river right now and all these sometimes you get dislocated sounds of cormorants and you know the odd people uh you've got this weird vantage point that you think you'd be disconnected from london here but you're actually more connected than you are on the street in some way there's a boat This is a redefining of hidden London for me. We are the ones who are hidden. Yeah, and if you think about it, people aren't aware of this space, first of all, when they're driving over or cycling over or going even um, through the bridge on on a boat. They're not aware of these two spaces because there's another one, obviously, on the other side, the North Baskill Chamber. So that's the first thing you've got. Well, actually, I I should jump in just on the engineering side of it and explain that the purpose of this is these are the elbows, effectively. If you you imagine uh, sitting in a squatting position and resting your arms horizontally with fingers touching and let your elbows overhang where you're resting them on your, your knees each side. So as Tower Bridge raises, your elbows are going to drop down and it's into the chamber in which we stand now that they drop. Yeah, so the idea is because the bascules are the leaves of the bridge that lift up, um, the idea of having counterweights, these massive 450-tonne counterweights uh, on each side, is to make the lifting the bridge as easy and as quick as possible. It used to lift up very rapidly when they had a lot of bridge lifts. Um, it was done very quickly. Now they've slowed it down a little bit, um, and it's still pretty quick when you see it. So the idea is that these, these counterweights perfectly balance the bridge, so there's not much lifting involved um, by the machinery. Maybe we could come at the project here from behind it and talk about how you got to be doing this. On your website, there are lots of pictures of you. You look like a model maker. You're working with a craft knife and cutting up very small things. Uh, what are you doing in those pictures? Yeah, I'm a member of a group called Langham Research Centre, which was uh, is a collection of uh, radio producers with RG from the BBC. And uh, we got together in 2003 uh, at a time when the BBC was rapidly becoming digital and all these tape machines and tapes that were hanging around with... Uh, razor blades and um, you know uh, china graph pencils were about to become obsolete but at that point every producer had one and there was a workshop with a very lovely uh, microphone and effects unit and things like that so basically we could do reel-to-reel tape music and uh, music concrete at the weekends so that's what we did and we've been going ever since and so a lot of the small scale stuff is relating to that and things like soldering soldering cables which i'm really bad at really hopeless of it we in the Lang Research Centre use obsolete technology essentially as a sort of framing device uh, as a creative restriction to make music so we use things like reel-to-reel tape analogue radio seems to be obsolete sine wave oscillators as used by the Radiophonic Workshop and phonograph cartridges from the 1940s which have been reconditioned sort of wires recoiled and we use them for a piece called cartridge music by John Cage when it comes to images and we're flooded with images all the time and I guess I'm thinking particularly of a time since the birth of Instagram. We've experienced a lot of vintage pictures. Everywhere you look, there are filters to make your pictures look as though they come from, insert decade from the 20th century here. What about in sound? Is there any similar fashion? Well, you've got, on the one hand, the 
rejuvenation, I suppose, of the Radiophonic Workshop as a sort of online project curated by Matthew Herbert. So that's one example. And also the old dudes from the, radio, the original Radiophonic Workshop do these gigs where they sort of restage things like the Doctor Who theme for an audience. So those are a couple of examples, specific examples. And then there's, you know, there's obviously Langham Research Centre doing live music concrete using tape machines, places like Cafe Otto in London. You've got groups like Howl Round who have just been supporting this guy, William Bozinski, on his UK tour. So they also use massive long tape loops as part of their stage act uh, with multiple tape machines going around. And oh, so they are actually playing them yeah, from, from the tape machines as well? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and what's interesting to me is the goodwill that audiences have towards this machinery. It's like, A, it's a reminder of the past, which they didn't really want to have erased or to move on from. Yes, they're very clunky, these machines, and heavy, but there's something about them and their personalities which is simultaneously charming and unreliable, and I think those are qualities that we quite like these days. Isn't there a bit of marvel as well in those situations where you've seen those objects before and maybe never actually had the opportunity to interact with them? It seems to defy what your expectations, and you oh, oh, this can happen. Yeah, and also there's that brilliant thing which is that, uh, you know, children, young children, I've got a five-year-old, and so... CDs have skipped them uh, DVDs they don't know what they are uh, iPods they know about even though they're now obsolete so they're you know rich pickings for the Langham Research Centre now but when you produce a reel-to-reel tape and put it on and play it they are totally bewitched because you can as it were see the sound moving you know you're, you can sort of see the fact that it's going from left to right and if I fast forward it you see the sound change and if I you know drag it through the tape head with my hand you hear it go and you can't do that with where well, you can but it's very difficult with, uh, with digits so there's a certain sort of you know, tactile quality to some of this stuff, which people appreciate, even aside from the rich sound that you get on reel-to-reel tape as well. The only comparison I can think there is of uh, scratching on decks. Exactly, yeah, so you, you get that. And also there's this uh, quite sophisticated software which allows you to sort of manipulate a, a sort of virtual platter whilst drawing from your hard drive. There's a boat going there. Sounds like a beast of a thing. Yeah, I'd say that's not a massive one. That's a medium-sized vessel. <laughs> it's a shame, I guess, by definition, you won't be in here for something enormous going across. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Um, I, I still haven't been in here during a bridge lift on the gantries. I, I really want to do that, because I want to sort of see how it marries up with what, what I did with the, with the piece of music. And also, I really want to get onto the other side, to the North Bascal Chamber, because, in theory, the sound will be different. It's 110 years since this place was built, not 120 years. And metal on metal, over that time, will, it will sound different. So there should be another piece waiting for me on the other side. The prospect of observing from the gantry is no less intimidating to me than being down here and seeing the same thing coming towards you. If you imagine standing about one foot away from a, a cruise liner going past you, it's, it's, that, that must be the effect. Uh, there's a safety trough here in yellow in case you get caught out and then you can jump in here and you'll be protected. Oh, that's a safe place, is it? There was a little alcove on the back wall there that that's I had marked out. That's good. And if, if there was a full bridge lift with Her Majesty coming through, because she's the only one that is accorded a full bridge left then the bridge would swing down to within about 20 centimeters of your face if you're standing on that back wall mm, i may need to go on a diet 
Um, so the, uh, the the sounds of the bridge intrigued you. And by the way, we've had Ian Rules on the show before. His project is uh, his ongoing project is quite incredible, and it's an amazing thing that gets overlooked. I think that there are sounds. Uh, you talked about the means of delivering the sounds becoming obsolete, but the sounds themselves are also transient. And what you hear ten years ago might not be what you're hearing now for all sorts of reasons. So just think about mobile ringtones. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. things like you know the, the old Routemaster buses, ting ting. You know that on that. Cal- Cord, you know, you don't get that anymore. Hang on, another boat. <laughs> and just things like, you know, you were cycling along the Regents Canal, and formerly, you know, the slabs went buddle, 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 buddle as you're cycling over, and now the buggers have concreted them in, so things like that are becoming obsolete. So it's just, uh, and you know, you get squeaky gates which have a nice sort of, and then some bugger comes along and oils the hinges. So things like that become, you know, obsolete as well very rapidly. What about the venue? Well, it only becomes a venue later on, doesn't it? Earlier, earlier on in the process, it's an inspiring sound and it's something to experiment with before it becomes a venue. But what about other inspiring places? And I've got in mind somebody I interviewed who was into, quite literally, enormous storage drums buried in the ground somewhere like Hungary, I think. And he liked to go down there and make sound and record sound. What other sort of places have you tried? Yeah, well, I've read about some of these, what the aforementioned big uh, reverberation chambers in, the, in a book called Sonic Wonderland, which documents them and uh, they do sound amazing you know things like sort of like a one minute 15 reverb time which just sounds impossible but um, so things like that would be great to explore other things I've done include I have documented the bike bells on the Regents Canal for instance at rush hour rush hour commuting time so you get all these different tones of bike bells and uh, and you get people without a bike bell going woohoo or ting ting you know sort of making their own versions of the sound which is quite good <laughs> so I've made a piece out of that uh, the bus garage in Bow is quite good because you've got a lot of sort of ill-maintained vehicles with very screechy brakes which if you pitch those down eight octaves you get this kind of amazing crystalline music which just again sounds fully formed in the same way the tower bridge sounds fully formed um, there's an interesting project I did in Oslo as part of this amazing uh, thing called Musicity, which is a sort of uh, way of planting sound uh, in actual locations which you can access through a smartphone app. And I was asked to do something which would go on the roof of the Opera House in Oslo, which is like a sort of big iceberg of a building on which you can walk, so you can climb up it onto the roof. And my piece was going to be excited there. And so these sound engineers recorded backroom spaces in the Opera House, so places that aren't accessible to the public and that was my raw material to make a piece so that was quite interesting sort of making some of that backroom space available to people on the roof it just sounded quite an enticing prospect so uh, I've since been there and heard it on site and, it, and it's wonderful it just sounds so interesting you know transposing a, a space that's hidden into, into a public place and I guess that's kind of what we're doing here not only are we allowing people to hear the sound of the bridge but we're also bringing them in in some numbers which they can't normally do but I guess what I'm realising as we talk is that conventional platforms, literally conventional platforms for performing music, just really ain't going to cut it with something this, I guess experimental's the right word. It doesn't need to be niche, but it certainly ain't mainstream. And you would have to imagine that a mainstream audience expecting uh, three, three to six minutes of uh, poppiness, they're not going to get what they're looking for here. So it feels on the one hand as though your experimentation with the spot and, and making the sound work with the place goes hand in hand with the need to find the right place to perform it. 
Yeah, and with this space, obviously you cannot deny all the offstage sounds. You know, just while we're talking, we're hearing them all the time. So you have a, <laughs> it's a very simple decision. Do you say, oh, I, I deny those? <laughs> uh, you, you, have, you bring them in. So all the four pieces, uh, three of which I wrote for this concert, all embrace the sort of environmental sound and they become part of the, part of the music. How out of control can that get? Uh, well, you've got things like, obviously, sirens and very big boats going past, which totally excite the space and make it sort of vibrate. You know, you've got a lot of water surrounding us here, and obviously that just sort of transfers the sound very, very well. So you don't have much control over that, but I like that because I've just sort of built that into the pieces. So the, the first piece that we'll hear in the concert, this fanfare that I've written, is about sort of 40% silence, so it's just to allow the sound from the brass players playing very right at the top from the gantries of the chamber to allow that sound to decay. And so the audience is almost listening to the space as much as they are the musicians, which I like. Well, we've got some samples of your work that we can take a listen to. What are we going to hear? So let's have a listen to that fanfare, which is called Hocketus Prima.
So that's Hocketus Prima. It's a fanfare that I've written for this space and for these concerts. And the idea of it is really to have sort of blocks of sound which are being sort of mixed by the audience who are sat sort of 15 metres below the players. And there's two trumpets on one side and there's two trombones on the other. So even they aren't really hearing the ensemble together. Only the audience is really hearing that mixed down on the floor of the bascal chamber. This, this runs the risk of being an idiot question. When you work so much of the time with sound, what's your relationship uh, in a non-work sense with, with silence? I think, um, yeah, obviously John Cage established quite clearly for everyone that silence is impossible and sort of highly subjective. You know, if you're in a very quiet place, you're going to hear your nervous system and the blood rushing through you. So silence is, is impossible. So it's all relative, and it's just about sort of starting to think about... Um, what you want to do in terms of treating the sounds around you as some sort of <laughs> musical quality or not. Now, what was that we were hearing? That sounded like a some sort of... It could even have been a, a horn on a lorry or something, but it might have been a boat. It was quite high-pitched for a boat. They're normally lower. We, we can rule out a seagull, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's got perfect pitch. <laughs> or is playing a trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't rule it out. <laughs> I, I, wondered, I wondered whether you find yourself craving a noiseless uh, or a musical instrument less situation as a you know those um, delicious spicy meals where you eat something that's cool and bland mm. in between courses like uh, to refresh yeah precisely yeah um, it's funny because the uh, one of the pieces that's been performed is John Cage's aria in these concerts and again that's the soprano following a graphic score so there's bits of operatic arias being sung and there's these kind of non-musical sighs, shouts and laughs and things like that but then there's also a lot of silence and it's very interesting because when people are listening to that in the space they're sort of aware that it's silent insofar as there's no, she's not singing at that point but clearly it's not silent in this place because we've got loads of things going on so it does sort of make you question how you're dealing with silence or how you're categorising it I would argue that there is no silence certainly not here I think you just recently had the first run-through and we'll talk about how that went, but very specifically on the issue that we were talking about there. How did people in the audience react to that moment? They were sort of captivated, actually. We weren't sure if there was going to be any applause in between the pieces because we weren't sort of queuing it up like that. And as it was, as it happened, there was a sort of real intensity, so people were perceiving the four pieces of the concert as sort of one work almost. And then at the end, there was this sort of outpouring. So it was, it was very interesting. When in, On that specific point of the John Cage, with the silence there, they just didn't know what was going to happen. And she was sort of invading their personal space a little bit, coming quite up, quite close up to them. So you get that brilliant thing when you're <laughs> watching this as the third person, see the sort of rictus grin on the audience faces. Yeah, this is interesting, actually. I didn't realise how much it's reminded me on the several occasions I've been here of an amphitheatre it's got a natural yeah. performance audience relationship built into it yeah I mean the normal thing to do would be to have the audience on these massive very grimy steps looking down to the space where we're talking but we flipped it around so that people can see the architecture more uh, they're seeing the bricks and say hello to a new era of mental health care Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. 
Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It sort of makes a bit more sense, Lois. Ah, we're looking at empty chairs now. I assume that this was where all the performers were going to oh, be no. working from. No, no. So, yeah, well, that's course. the audience looking up, up towards the road level on these massive counterweights. Well, let's uh, talk about this first run-through. Mm. You mentioned before the interview that this time yesterday you were about a bag yeah. of nerves. Yeah. What were you worried about? Uh, primarily getting everything in place and slightly rehearsed before the audience arrived because we had a bridge lift at the end so we had to finish on time otherwise we'd all be crushed and um, (laughs) so there was that pressure of time Uh, we couldn't sort of stretch out so once we got through it and it all worked like clockwork I was very relieved and now we know we can do it we know the movements of people basically during one of the pieces after the fanfare the brass two of the brass players who are on one side of the bridge have to go up onto the road, cross the road with their trombones, wearing white boiler suits, down the other side, and then all the way down the steps into the bicycle chamber, all during the Sopranos piece. So that's a challenge, but we didn't know whether that was going to work. It worked really well. We've had a description of the atmosphere of the first run-through as sombre from somebody who would like to hear a lot more Bolivian influence <laughs> in your music. Yeah, he didn't have any personal bias on that, of course. <laughs> What is the general tone you're going for? Is there something you want people to to get from the performance? I wanted it to be mixed, so I wanted the first piece... Oh. Fir- what is that? I think that's repairs to the uh, pump in the accumulator chamber. That sounded a lot like a, a choir sound on a synthesizer. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, with, with the concert's four pieces, the first one is this fanfare, which is... I think quite pleasant and I'm aware that a lot of the audience coming to this event are not your sort of Huddersfield contemporary music aficionados necessarily uh, they're coming to see the space so I wanted to write something they'd like and that would be quite tonal so that's that and we what, what was that about Huddersfield? I, th- I think there's a reference I've dropped there well the so the audience for sort of new music new and inverted commas uh, contemporary classical is very different from the audience for these events which are more of a a Londonist event 
people we anticipate who've bought tickets for this are people that are curious about London and London spaces rather than curious about you know what's happening in sort of 12-tone serialism in the uh, post-Darmstadt school of music so I bore that in mind and decided not to write lots of modernist music and to make it relatively accessible to start with and then we have John Cage's aria which is a thing of its own and seems to appeal to everyone in different ways we performed it at the Tate in October last year and in front of an audience of sort of two and three year olds it was a family festival George Osborne's there with his family and even he liked it so we thought well there's there's definite hope for music concrete if you can convince him to uh, enjoy it the third piece is a piece with soprano and field recordings that I've written um, which is very watery on the sound effects side there's a lot of uh, fog horns and underwater recordings which make people hopefully feel like they are on some sort of vessel and then the fourth piece is Baskill Chambers which is the piece written for this space using the brass players and the sound of Tower Bridge lifting up We're going to take a word from the sponsor who is looking after us on this show. We'll be back in a minute. I think Tower Bridge needs to get a bit more of a look in. I think we could focus a little bit more on some of the other parts of the bridge and find out what my guest Ian Chambers knows about that. Maybe we could get a little bit techy as well. I'm keen to hear about how you make your recordings. But uh, all that in just a second. We have teamed up with audible.co.uk to offer you a free audiobook of your choice. All you have to do is register for one month free trial to claim your free audiobook. There are over 150,000 to choose from. The 30-day free trial means you can choose a free audiobook, which is yours to keep whether or not you decide to cancel in the trial period. And there's more good news. If you trialed the service over 12 months ago, the good people at Audible are giving you a chance to get your hands on another audiobook for free. So sign up at www.audible.co.uk forward slash Londonist. Londonist Out Loud is free every week. You can support the show and Londonist via the Londonist shop, where you'll find excellent gift ideas, including London postcard t-shirts, the secrets of the tube DVD, chunky logo mugs, tote bags, hoodies, the Inspector Sands tea, and the Londonist Oyster card holder. Treat yourself, support us, and share your love of London at londonist.com slash shop. You're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm Anne Quentin Wolf. With me, Ian Chambers. And we're talking about Baskill Chambers music. Uh, every press release I've seen related to this says uh, Ian Chambers, Baskill Chambers, brackets, no relation. <laughs> yeah, my long-lost son, Baskill. It's, it's too, it'd be a good opportunity, wouldn't it, for, for naming someone, I think. Baskill Chambers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of works. I think he'd be Sherlock Holmes' arch enemy. Absolutely, yeah. It's like Mycroft, Sherlock and Baskill. <laughs> uh, what's your knowledge of Tower Bridge like? Okay, so I know that it's a special bridge because it's it's three types of bridge in one. It is a suspension bridge, it's a Baskill bridge, so it has the leaves that lift up, and it's a girder bridge, so the high walkway serves a structural function. And so that's unique, I think. Um, it was built in around about 1890. The competition for it was uh, mysteriously won by the chair of the competition, who happened to be the uh, city architect at the time. I think that might have been Horace Jones. So, you know, there was no insider trading or insider knowledge going on there at all. Uh, and then I think John Wolfe Barry was the main engineer that came up with this specific realisation in an engineering way of how this was going to work. And... We've, we're seeing these big grooves on the side uh, in the Baskill Chamber. Apparently these were not relating to the way that the bridge operates. This was probably uh, when they were building it. They had to lock these Baskills in position 
So that's why there's this kind of weird groove going all the scar up, going down on either side. That's what they think it's all about. Well, they chuck some uh, girders across there or something to lock it up. Yeah, yeah, while they're building the chamber around it. So it's kind of, you could just imagine seeing it from this position below the Thames as they're trying to assemble this huge amount of bricks. <laughs> have you explored the experience on that see-through walkway? Have you had a chance to get up there? No, not yet. I'm saving that. I want to do that, and I want to do the North Bascule Chamber. And ideally, I want to see, see it from uh, within when it's lifting up. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be possible. You've got no, no chance to do it. I heard, I'm sure you've heard this story as well the tv film crew who got permission to do some filming down here and like you said if there's a ship coming and it needs to get through then there's half an hour clearance each side i believe ships can request the bridge be open for them with just about an hour's notice it's very short and this film crew are down here and they've unpacked all their rigs and their lighting and they've laid their wires out and then the call came down you've got to clear out there's a ship coming so pack it all up out they go and they they unpacked and repacked and I, I gather they got about half a minute's uh, filming done the day yeah it's kind of Kafka-esque isn't it it's brilliant I love it they're quite strict about not having people down here while it lifts up for obvious reasons let's talk about the technical oh, by the way I'm impressed with your tower bridge thank you uh, that was you probably plumbed the depths of it now huh. <laughs> well, I can't work out whether that was an appalling joke <laughs> I think it might have been. Yeah, I... I a shamed look. I should tell you about the counterweights. They're 450 tonnes on each side. And, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of pig iron involved as well. So this is sort of massive hunks of metal that can't really be moved out now, even when they're no longer functioning. So in the machine room here, there's the old steam machinery which used to power the bridge, which is sort of British-built and going nowhere, and they can't really take it out anyway. And then there's a sort of Bosch 1970s German machine which is a hydroelectric thing that actually powers the engine now yeah i'm going to go for the cheesy thing here what powers your engine in terms of inspiration (laughs) Um, in terms of inspiration what is it that fires you up and gets you thinking when i hear a space actually can i say rather than think this is a a sincere question rather than saying thinking it may well be that you feel the music instead which part of your body does the music work in yeah, I think what happens is that you hear a space, or for me, a space or a location, and I think, that's interesting. I'd like to sort of put it under the microscope. So I record it, and then I'll generally sort of pitch it down a bit or slow it down so that it's almost like getting it in finer detail so I can sort of see what's going on or hear what's going on a bit more. So this is an intellectual inquiry going it's a sonic inquiry, so it's a bit like you know Messiaen, uh, who loved birdsong, and so he would sit in the forest and try and transcribe it at pitch, you know, at the normal pitch, which is, must be impossible. Um, so generally, people would record it and slow it down. If you ever do this, if you slow down birdsong, it's still extremely complicated, even at like you know quarter speed or an eighth speed. So I tend to do that a little bit, recording stuff and then pitching it down and trying not to lose the feeling of what it is so if i'm pitching down you know a lorry's brakes i want you to still perceive okay it's still a lorry but there's this sort of hidden or latent musicality there that i'm trying to pull out without sort of pulling the wool over your eyes i'm not trying to say haha listen to this new synthesizer i'm trying to make sure that you know that it's a location recording but there's this kind of musical material that you can tease out underneath it the way you're describing that 
uh, reminds me very strongly of a show we did at the Royal Veterinary College. And we went into a room where a lot of students were dissecting various, well, roadkill, I think, foxes and dead cats and so forth. But by doing so, each one was attempting to reveal a different part of the animal in question. So it might be that they were laying the circulatory system bare, or they might be trying to expose particularly the liver in some way. It sounds a lot like you're a sonic anatomist. Yeah, I think that's true. It's it's a sort of interesting thing to do because a lot of these sounds, people aren't really paying any attention to them. And when you start paying attention to them, then suddenly you're aware of all the sort of vicissitudes and variety that you get. Just talking about boats, for instance, you know, I'm no boat fan, certainly not when they put bridge requests in around the concert service. But um, when you start paying attention to the different sounds of each boat, then you get you become a connoisseur and anyone, anyone can do this and you just start thinking uh, yeah that's a tugboat and you can hear the chains of it or you can hear a particular engine sign sounds and um, so what I'm saying is that when you start focusing on something it opens up into a greater variety than you were aware of before it's a bit like colours you know if I said to you look out for the colour yellow this particular shade of yellow on your way to work today suddenly you'd see it everywhere but only because you're thinking about it whereas all this stuff is in our sort of peripheral vision or peripheral hearing, but we don't really tune into it. So it's trying to sort of make people tune into some of these sounds which could be considered peripheral. Okay, so you're finding... uh, I'm trying to avoid using the word beauty because I'm not sure that that is what you're necessarily finding all the time, Uh, but you're finding things of interest in in these sounds that surround us. On a musical front, are there surprising bits of music that you have found something in that other people maybe are yet to... Spot. Well, there's two examples. I mean, one is a you know things like harsh sounds like road drills. So there was a road drill outside my house, and I you know it was right outside my house, and it was doing this really interesting sort of count, you know, cross rhythms. And each, each it was almost like every bar was a different uh, time signature. So it's kind of going. It sounded like an Autechre track on Warp Records. So you know I put a microphone through the letterbox and just recorded it for about 20, <laughs> about twenty minutes. It was totally gripping. As a, as a piece of music and um, I just want to experience that moment as your postman <laughs> yeah, yeah. what the hell are you doing um, so that's one and then I have this kind of weird thing where um, if I hear particular pitches it kicks off this jukebox that I can't do anything about uh, in my head so there's a sort of lorry reversing noise which is going and it's the same pitches as this it sounds a bit pretentious but it's a foray piano quartet or quintet I think and it's like the sort of second movement and it just starts like that at that same pitch so every time I hear a lorry I then hear the rest of that piece in my mind or most of it and I can't do anything about it so there's a certain sort of thing where the pitches are triggering memories of other music in my mind that's how I always feel about smells yeah it's yeah the olfactory bulb it's it's just so quick in your brain you know you smell something and it immediately transports you to the memory of it without any uh, cerebral dicking around you know it just takes you straight there in a way that churches don't necessarily yeah that's right it was just uh, just yesterday i was clearing out a cupboard and there was an lp in there not one that i intended to play it would possibly horrify anyone with taste but i had a sniff inside as i hope you do and instantly i was seven or eight years old again and nosing around inside my parents lp cupboard yeah i wonder if smell is quicker than sound in that respect when you hear a snippet of a piece of music that reminds you of something is that any quicker or slower than when you get that smell of you know when you were almost knocked unconscious as a child falling off a slide you know because that's something that I sometimes get and um, 
I think sound is probably a little bit slower than smell in that respect, but it'd be interesting to find out, to do some studies. Another boat going over there. It's a lot busier than I imagined it to be. Yeah, there's loads of boats, isn't there? You never see them um, when you're sort of wandering around London, but there's actually a lot of river traffic here. You even see container vessels. So there's one, there seems to be one container port left in London, sort of near Cannon Street, I think. And you see a lot of um, sort of mini container vessels with these things, presumably going out to Tilbury or somewhere like that. Exactly right. If you'd like a special edition of Londonist Out Loud on uh, what that's all about, just going back into our archives. Very good. I will. <laughs> that was more, more directed at the listener. I wasn't uh, instructing you how to use your day. But uh, in terms of how your day is going to unfold, what have you got lined up? And we're going to hear a bit of it in just a moment, but what have you got today, tomorrow? Today being Saturday. Yeah, today we've got uh, two performances with the Doctor Symphonia brass and the soprano Catherine Carter um, from within the bascal chamber and we're going to do two performances for press and partners and people like that then we've got uh, 12 concerts for the public over the Saturday and Sunday which are sold out and I'm hoping that we might do something similar next year and over maybe more days so that we can get more people down here because there's obviously a big appetite to come and see these spaces. So this is the title track, as it were. This is Baskill Chambers, and we're hearing the brass of the Dockland Symphonia alongside Tower Bridge.
So that was Bascule Chambers. Well, I hope the performances go as well as they promised to do. People want to hear more about you, or more from you, I should say. And uh, also, I think, more from Ian Roars and his amazing collection of sounds. Where can they find out more about both of you? Yeah, so my website is ianchambers.com and you should definitely go to the London Sound Survey site and just put in Tower Bridge because there's a lot of the hidden spaces here which he's documented which didn't make it into my piece, such as the machine room and other places like that. Well, from the Bascule Chamber in Tower Bridge, Ian Chambers, thanks very much. Thank you. That's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Ian Chambers. Thanks to, to Mark Barr and Bernie Barkley. The theme and incidental music was by Ian Chambers and the songs from The Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolf.